0: Now of their service I will say nothing more, for you are all well aware that no want would there be. Another noise that was new drew near on a sudden, so that their lord might have leave at last to take food. For hardly had the music but a moment ended, and the first course in the court was custom been served. When... There passed through the portals a perilous horseman, the mightiest on middle earth, in measure of height, from his gorge to his girdle so great and so square, and his loins and his limbs so long and so huge, that half a troll upon earth I trow he was, but the largest man alive at least I declare him, and yet the seemliest for his size that could sit on a horse, For though in back and in breast his body was grim, both his paunch and his waist were properly slight, and all his features followed his fashion so gay, in mode. For at the hue men gaped, aghast, in his face and form there showed, as a flame man fell he passed, and green all over glowed. Hello and welcome to the Ducks Never Waver Lunch Break, where you get food for thought and can rejuvenate to sally forth. Join the dynamic duo, Edwin and Megan, as they explore topics of gravitas and pomp, brought to the brink of absurdity and thrown off. Down, down, down the precipice of ridiculousness.
1: Quack, quack, <laughs> quack, quack. No, because then you're gonna want to read nine. If you read nine, then you want to read ten, and then we're just gonna be reading Sir Gawain and, and the, the Green, Green Knight. That
0: was actually a wonderful time. Yeah, yeah, not
1: too shabby. Okay, so welcome to the podcast here.
0: So excited. We
1: have some papers. Try not to rustle them too much because the the mic will go
0: <laughs> It shows that you prepared and I was able to read what you prepared.
1: I know he's stealing off my notes again, guys. He always be doing this.
0: Well, you know what? When you don't have talent and you don't have perseverance and you 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 don't have really much of anything going for you, you steal. And um you know what they say? No one really minds a thief who steals food. And this is food for thought. So therefore, let uh, us continue on. To... I was going to be so
1: flattered that you thought I was talented and then you just said perseverance and like, yep, I'm just a dumb brick that will keep throwing itself against the wall, hoping I'll stick mm-hmm. the rest of the bricks. You know, and then you can say I'm just all in all another brick in the wall. Right There, you, me, yes, oh. you
0: have not just studied Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. This particular story,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you have been look. you've been taking a overall view of the field that is the authorian myth. Mm-hmm. It, almost as, um, I think it started off as something that in- intrigued you, piqued your interest, and it's become a full blown obsession that has now changed you into. Something unholy, really. <laughs> Tell us a little bit because everything
1: I, leads to Arthur. Well, uh, well all, because the, yeah. the the and the part of the problem is that all like many, many roads do lead to Arthur because the legend of Arthur is such a huge span. Like, we're talking, uh, potentially the real Arthur. Like, if if we peg a man to be Arthur, we're talking sixth century uh, Roman, and then. It's it's evolved, and it's like a, a snowball that's gathered snow, and so like as it rolls down the hill, it gets bigger and bigger.
0: Yeah, and more things tie into it, and more yes, influences and more
1: influences and new plot lines. It diverts; it, it goes in different ways because the author is it, tying it in some other way, uh, and it has it's many. It's kind of like,
0: um, do you remember Uncle Remus? Yeah. Yeah. So Uncle Remus, you know, they have the story where Brer Rabbit dies. And then the next story starts with a, eh, Brer Rabbit didn't die.
1: Yeah. Because we need
0: Brer Rabbit to exist for the rest of the stories, essentially. Yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, so... That's very much like the, I, I that's what I've been loving is the, I don't know, uh, the logic of fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, I mean, I don't know if it's technically a fairy tale, because I think fairy well, tales come later. But the, the, the. I log- did
0: read the introduction to you know? So the nice thing about it is the translation we have. I think that everybody really has nowadays is by J.R.R. Tolkien. There
1: are actually many.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay, is this the best-known translation?
1: No, there oh. was one not that long ago. Well, I'm talking like 10, 5, 10 years ago, when um, Seamus, what's his name? Oh, Hanley. Hanley came out with Beowulf, then a couple of years later, the same publisher, because that was so popular, they did Sir Oh, Alwin. but it
0: wasn't Seamus Hanley who did the translation? No, he no. didn't.
1: It was a different guy. Okay. Uh, And actually, I believe that... Somebody kind of stole Tolkien's thunder with his translation. That Tolkien being such a perfectionist, it took him a while to get it actually done to his liking. And someone published before him. So even though he was working on it probably before this other guy, he by the time he published, everybody was like, yeah, 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 whatever. Okay. Uh, But I think because of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, his... There, there is definitely a, a nucleus of followers of this of like oh anything Tolkien has ever touched, we want yeah. to also touch. Yeah, and I think is very readily accessible to find. Yeah, Tolkien's translation, and we'll get into what we like about his translation. But I think what I, I, I was just going to say with with Arthur, there's always this this the the rules of the castle. Uh, and there's these uh. Things that may not make sense in our world, it may it didn't make sense in their world either. These are these are stories, and I don't know what the right word for these kind of stories are because it's like, I guess the American version would be the tall tale. Like you think of, I think of Paul Bunyan and that, those sort of things.
0: Yeah, but, and even Davy Crockett. Yeah. Daniel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> Davy
1: Crockett was a real. That's a great example. Okay. Because Davy Crockett was a real historical person, and yet. His legend has evolved and it's become, um, did he really grin a a bear out of a tree? Well, yes and no.
0: Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee. Green estate in the land of the free. Raised in the woods so he knew every tree. Killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier.
1: And you kind of have to roll with it. Yeah. And it puts you in such a wonderful world, and also, I don't know what the deeper deeper meaning of it all is, but I think actually that there's in in a, in some original texts like the Mabinogian, there's there is a lack of a moral learning okay. because there's just things happen. They t- you know these magical beings and just like the spirits happen, and then it's just this is how things worked and. The, that's the end of the story. You and know, it, it, it's not like uh like, oh, here it is. But later when you get to the French, like Chrétien de Troyes, he's interested in like, okay, so how does the court work? How does the you know, how do you how do women and men interact? And all these ideas of chivalry and all that stuff. And so that becomes much more these these stories pick up the there's this technical term for it, but basically it would translate to uh, the learning of the prince or the teaching of the prince. Essentially would be these texts that are supposed to be like, if you read this, you will be a good ruler. Like you will be yeah noble and just and, and, a, and a, a worthy ruler. Uh, and so a lot of it is the author putting in commentary of what he thinks yeah. would make a good ruler where I'm at in Arthur right now is that I have had a cursory glance at the Arthur legend and I'm hungry for more, but I feel very much like there's actually so much I don't know.
0: Well, a lot of times the deeper you go, the more you realize you don't.
1: Yeah. Because there's so many texts and like original texts. And then there's the riffs off of the original texts that you can do and what by original text I mean that uh, they're they're adding stuff to the stories. Right. Whereas like people like T H White are kind of like re spinning it all. Yeah. They're kind of like using typically most, most people are using Mallory's. Mallory, uh, Mortar Tour is kind of considered the finished volume.
0: Kind of the distiller of all the different... Yeah,
1: and he adds stuff too. Okay. But he's kind of like, he took the British, he took the French, he took the Norse-Germanic, and he kind of like spun it all together, and it's the largest compendium. Like, a lot of like, you know, they're in bits and pieces of like, oh, this is yeah. the grail. Like, just, you know, f- focus on Percival. And oh, this is just romances of like, oh, focusing on Lancelot. Yeah. You know, so that sort of thing. Like, each author has his, his focus, but then... Mallory's is is probably the most complete, and I have yet to read that. Okay. That would be exciting. When does
0: Arthur get together with Robin Hood to... To, to win.
1: To, to win. Yeah. Um. Well, it depends when you think Robin Hood was alive and when you think Arthur was alive. I mean, so Arthur is a
0: significantly older story.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, but like, even if we're talking like, okay, when was I don't know like when this story was written? We're talking 14th century. So I guess that would be Robin Hood. But I don't I don't know of where there's ever Robin Hood is together with.
0: No, there's Arthur. not. I was trying to be funny. Welcome to Sherwood, my lady. Because, I mean, he, in a way, Arthur is almost like the perpetual king of England because he's the ideal of a good king. Yes. Kind of.
1: Yes. And he, he fits in, uh, politically that, uh, as, as I'm, I'm assuming most people know, uh, Britain or the UK has been quite tumultuous and who's in power and whose land is what. Mm-hmm. And
0: there's been a lot of blood spilt over that little island.
1: So much. And the Normans, just the French, the Britons, mm-hmm. Brittanese, Brittany, Brittany? Brit- 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 Brit, yes. anyways, uh, the Normans are trying to keep the Saxons under control.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they are also trying to keep the Celts on their side and under control. And so the Arthur legend has continued to be popular because that was also a political move of like, hey, let's have Celtic British heroes that's also tied in with Normans. And so that you don't, that you're not inclined to follow the Saxon heroes like uh, Alfred the Great or whatever. Okay. So there's kind of like keep the patriotism in your hearts of like, oh, we're actually on your side even though we're conquering your land. You know, there's a little bit of of that. Yeah, and
0: then by having the the woven by tying your story into the the story of of, that was originally there, you kind of have a a propagandic way of saying, see Mm -hmm. we're we're kind of aligned on the same sides here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because Lance Lancelot
0: is is Norman, right? He's the French guy. He's the
1: French guy. Yeah.
0: And he comes into Arthur's court. Yeah. So that that's a way to tie in yeah. everything. And I
1: mean, like, you, you you follow it around. Like, actually, oh, I was listening to a lecture. Like, if you want, like, a broad sweep of Arthur, I highly recommend The Great Courses, King Arthur Legend, taught by Professor Dorsey Armstrong. She is so entertaining and so knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Which I think you have to be both, honestly.
0: Yeah, you- <laughs>
1: So, she's a great storyteller and gives you tons of information. But she, she had some sort of formula, like... Um, three, fifteen, thirty, and it was something like it if if you want to walk someplace, it takes you thirty days. If you have a horse, it takes you fifteen. If you use a boat, it takes you three. And so actually they the Britain had a closer connection with France than even like Scotland and like going up right. Or even, like, to the other side. Because, like, you, Wales, you... you're closer, actually, to France, or Gaul, or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, but modern-day France. You're closer to that than, actually, like, London, the other side of the oh, okay. country. Because you would have to go by horse or by foot. Yeah. But if you had a boat, you would just, just sneak around.
0: across cross the channel. So a lot
1: of times when there's, you know, invaders coming in, they would just go on their boat. And so they ended up with strong Celtic ties in France. Mm-hmm. And, like, if you go to Brittany today, they are fiercely Celtic. Like, that's what okay. they consider themselves. Uh, going to the Celtic festival, like, I learned... I went to a little history talk, and they are saying, yeah, like, they were somewhere, like, even more, like, than the Irish and the Scots. Like, they were so fiercely patriotic about being Celtic.
0: Okay, and that's in France.
1: And that's in France. Anyways, uh, let's, let's get to the story at hand with... Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, by the unknown author. Actually, we call him often um, the uh, Gawain author. Okay. Uh, so, and we only have one surviving copy of. Isn't that own. incredible? Yeah.
0: Makes you wonder about how many great stories are just gone because they weren't copied.
1: Yeah. And well, also, in, in put in perspective, too, there are, I think, something like 260, something like that, intact manuscripts of Geoffrey of Monmouth's The History of the Kings of Britain. Okay. Which was, I think, 11 something or other when that was written. Yep. Uh, so that was a best seller. And we have a lot, like that's a yeah. lot of manuscripts to have surviving. Yeah, and yet this is considered. I think it, they date it later, like 14th century. Uh, that we only have one.
0: Yeah, not not flying off the rack.
1: No, no, and there's there's theories about it that maybe he didn't want to, you know, want it to be popular, and that he was like this artist and like whatever. That he was also living in the rural. Countries whereas Chaucer was living in London. Mm -hmm. So we we remember Chaucer. Also, the form he used is alliterative poetry and very strict structure. Okay. And, like, beyond just being alliterative.
0: Yeah, and I also heard that there was technical, like, verse words put in there that would have been very harsh and dark for
1: Mm -hmm. the people of that time. Okay.
0: That they would have been... It, the form was archaic at the time yeah. he wrote it, and it was considered kind of dark and and not mm-hmm. not it, really like what people wanted at the time.
1: No, I mean it's certainly not Canterbury Tales. No, and it's not even a lot like. It's it's much more complex than a lot of the Arthur stories that I've read personally. Yeah. And and so it's complex. It's an old form. It was an old form then. Like he was like, hey, let's revive alliterative poetry. Let's get back to when poetry was cool. Yeah. And people are like, no, we're not ready for it to be cool. No, we we don't want this. And so <laughs> it's just one of the finest pieces of writing in medieval England. Like yeah. it's, it's I, just.
0: I wonder how many times the manuscript got close to being thrown out.
1: Because, mm.
0: like, how many times, like, why do you have these old papers? They're just lying about, they're in my way, it's just junk. Let's, let's mm-hmm. and, like, somebody, like, it's in the trash, it's, somebody sneaks it out. Like, I still kind of like that story. I, my mom used to read that to me as a kid. Like, put it back, somewheres in a cupboard, somewheres, and...
1: I know. Because or it doesn't... Don't use s- it as a fire starter.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh I, I mean, paper tends to have a better chance than something like tapestries, it's, it's very sad, actually, how many in the Middle Ages, uh, or the Dark Ages, that tapestries got cut up to be carpets.
0: Mm-hmm. You don't but, hear the term Dark Ages as much as even I remember hearing it um, as, a, as a kid. Yeah,
1: that was like in school, it was always the Dark Ages. But I think historians have found like it's too broad a term, yeah. and also it's not that it was dark dark, but there was plague times and there were times of sieges. And then we saw a rebirth or, or like, I guess, or yeah. like a renaissance or something. Yeah. And things would progress. And then again, there would be plagues and yeah. people trying to conquer, especially in, I don't know what to call it, England, the UK, Britain. Uh, the
0: British Isles.
1: The British Isles. There we go. Uh, because at this point, it's pretty important to keep the, the distinction between the British and the... The Angles, the the English. There is
0: not a unified England at this point. Because Scotland, Ireland, Wales, they're all their own countries, right?
1: Yeah. So let's start... Well, I'm just going to start at the... I guess the very beginning, right? A very good place to start. Indeed. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Did you notice that the... the, Should we have... Okay... before we get really deep into this, because I'm going to get into the structure of it,
0: I think it's time to check the cell structure. Yes,
1: that's checking the cell structure. Checking the cell structure. Ah, checking the cell structure. Checking,
0: checking the cell structure. The structure of the cell wall- is to be checked. Checking
1: the cell structure. checking the cell structure. Checking the cell structure. Checking the cell structure. Ah, voila! And now the cell structure has been checked. Uh, thank you so much. And that's going to have spoilers. And if you want to know the story of it, go read it now. You can find before we
0: spoil it. Yeah, <laughs> we can. Really but so we can silly. find
1: listener. Like you can find on YouTube people reading it out loud.
0: Yeah, or you can go on Audible. Yeah, I've listened to it now twice in preparation for this. Oh, good for you. Yeah.
1: So, anyways, uh, it kind of starts as what we would maybe consider kind of randomly uh, in Troy.
0: Do you think that's random? No. <gasps> It's I don't not, I don't think it's random and it's at all. It's not random at all. Well, I think it's placed in in, in a in a more epic uh narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's other poetry that begins with the lineage of like, you know, when when so and so comes
1: mm-hmm.
0: from here and starts this city. Even Beowulf begins a little bit that way, you know, mm-hmm. like he he was king here and he was king here and then and it sets the whole stage for th- what what's going to happen.
1: Yes. And this story which is uh set down very clearly by Geoffrey Monmouth in the history of the Kings of Britain, that it is a, I think it's a grandson of Aeneas. So there's, there's Troy, the battle of Troy. And then Aeneas flees and then he starts Rome. Yeah. And then Rome is this huge power. His son, her, his grandson goes and then he conquers Britain and that is his, his place. So what that does is, is saying that they are a legitimate country, yeah. that they are a power, that they are connected to Europe. Like, they, they have that legitimacy I, it is really well important to them it, and to say, like, hey, we're real people.
0: But also connected to Troy. If you're connected to Troy, then that right away puts this story in... Connection with Homer's stories, mm. right? It literally and <laughs> literally <laughs> connects it. I know what you're saying. To yeah. to to the Iliad and yeah, the Odyssey. Yeah, so he's Odyssey. saying
1: I'm writing a poem of Homeric proportion.
0: Impetuous, Homeric. Yeah. Even
1: though it's, it's much shorter, but he's saying like the subject matter is, is. worthy of me yeah. writing it, just like Homer's was. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what we have here is a chiasm and chiasm. do love a good chiasm. I love a chiasm and I don't, I feel like if I just rattle it off, I don't know if that's going to make sense to people. I don't know how you like to describe a chiasm is to me very visual, but I'm just a visual thinker. So to me, everything is visual.
0: Yeah, I...
1: I think so we try I have. Can we homage? do it
0: a little aside off of visual thinkers, like and people who say they're th- visual thinkers and they're not visual thinkers? Mm. It bothers me when I will. It, you have this when talking about homes and talking about like design and so on, mm. and people will be like, "Oh, I can't really envision that." I'm a visual thinker. No, you're just a regular person. Who isn't able to turn words into pictures. Mm-hmm. A visual thinker. Automatically turns words into, into pictures. Yeah. You are not actually a visual thinker. You're just somebody who's normal. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. Yeah. But don't say you're a visual thinker. Visual thinkers automatically think Visually. Well, you're saying
1: that to me because I say no, no, no. I say a sandwich, and to me it makes perfect sense that a chiasm is a sandwich. But I don't know if that makes perfect sense to other people. I I've, think, heard, I've uh, heard people say they're nesting boxes, but I don't think they're nesting boxes. I think that you no, know, I loses. just came
0: with one, and I've never but, heard this before. So bear with me; it might not work for you, you visual thinker. You, <laughs> to me, it is the V pattern of a flock of geese flying, and the forward most indented one is the most important goose and going out there symmetrically is 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 the branching pattern of the story
1: that's i love that yeah because how it looks because it
0: also that it gives it for uh direction and 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 force so like you know
1: (laughs) is that from just yeah (laughs) yeah yeah
0: it's a mathematical term a quantity represented by an arrow with both direction and magnitude vector that's me, because I'm committing crimes with both direction and magnitude.
1: Oh, yeah! I, yeah, nesting boxes doesn't work for me, because if you look at it on a page, it is creating that... V-shape. V-shape, and I think also remind remembering that a chiasm is sometimes called a ring or a circle structure. hmm w-
0: That's it, also helpful, because... It is helpful. The, the point is that the beginning... And the end are, are the, sa- same. the same. The, 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 the reflected themes.
1: They're reflected, yeah. And like we talked about in The Hobbit, so if, if I think we'd go into, if you're one of more examples of a chiasm, you can listen to our Hobbit episode. Mm-hmm. Our outer goose is, we'll call him Alfred. Okay. Is, but not Alfred the Great. Not Alfred the Great, just regular old Alfred. Is the lineage of, of Britain from Troy. That's, Troy is mentioned. Then the next goose, Berthold, the that we are in, in the in the court of King Arthur. Mm-hmm. There's there's a party going on and we're in, in the court.
0: At Christmastide.
1: The next goose in is Curtis and
0: with a K or a C. A C. Okay.
1: Have you not noticed I'm going A B C
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wow. So uh, Curtis is there's there's the mysterious beheading contest d yeah, really
0: gets things rolling
1: huh good one I like you. that and then uh almost almost to the center goose or that the in most pointed goose and was, mm-hmm. uh, the the buddy goose uh we have Darius Darius yeah Darius and and that's the perilous journey and then our we we actually and, and this is where it falls apart a little bit because in chiasms you can have two center geese Although I guess in in geese land you can also have two pointed yeah, geese. Anyways, yeah. so uh, at our at our pointy geese we have Eberhard, and that's the the hunting scenes outside the castle, intermingled with Edwina hunting scenes inside the castle. Then moving back out, we have Dolores perilous journey to the green chapel. Then we have chrysanthemum chrysanthemum beheading contest at the green chapel we have brad (laughs) I completely blank uh brad the returning to the court of king arthur and then alfredo is troy okay so that's that's our chiasm and that is also the the outline of the plot so uh Two birds with one sc- stones, but no geese were harmed during the recording. Good. Yes, I don't know if, I, if we want to go like blow by blow by this, but ha. <laughs> huh? Okay, I guess we're
0: <laughs> too many puns.
1: So many puns. Uh, anyways, I'll let you take over where you want to go with this.
0: Well, it, it it's uh, there's a lot that said in a very short amount of time. That's what struck me. Mm. Like setting the scene, it doesn't feel like the storyteller is rushed at all to get to the point of the story no
1: and it is the central point that takes the longest yeah because the the ending of back at king arthur's court and then mentioning troy that's in two of the blocks yeah Or like one and a half of the blocks it's like boop, 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 done
0: wrap this thing up yep we're done because once you get done with the second beheading contest yeah the story's over it's all epilogue after that
1: yeah it is
0: well, what I, I, I love to bring to light is that he really just sets the scene for everybody enjoying themselves and being at the round table at mm, Christmastide. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely, it's visually very appealing. And it's interesting because he, he right away starts just giving you characteristics of people with King Arthur. Just basically like there's, there's a problem right away because... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no, no Marvel, no meal for anybody. Yeah. And so what's going to happen? How are we going to feast for Christmas? Yeah. If, if, if if who's there's... who's going to tell a story? Who's yeah. going to do a great yeah. deed? Yeah. Something's got to happen. Yeah, you, Arthur, you know Arthur, something yeah. has to happen or else nobody's going to eat.
1: Yeah, because Arthur has this rule, I will not eat until I have seen something amazing.
0: hmm But well, what are you waiting for?
1: I don't Something amazing, I guess.
0: Me too, kid.
1: And I guess out of like because he's the king, nobody else eats. Because Basically, of that. Like yeah. I don't think he explicitly tells them not to eat,
0: but, but it'd be rude, it would be not, rude not, to not to eat. To. Uh, yes. It would
1: not be courtly yes. or courteous.
0: Courteous, yes. Uh,
1: <laughs> uh, count how many times we say that word in this this episode. Count
0: how many times it's said in the b- a story.
1: Okay, I will. <laughs> tomorrow <laughs> do you think it's like what what significance do you think there is that it's set at christmas and it's it's year to year it's it's christmas and new year's well also okay can i just say like just that it is year to year it's a whole, and and he does describe the changing of seasons mm-hmm. that that again ties into the chiastic structure that i was of, like going seasonal it, like it it ties into the round, ri- this, the rhythm the and,
0: rhythm and the ringness yeah like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel, never ending or beginning on an ever spinning reel, like a snowball down a mountain or a carnival balloon, like a carousel that's turning, running rings around the moon, like a clock whose hands are sweeping past
1: the minutes of its face, and the world is like an apple whirling silently in space, like the circles that you find
0: windmills of your mind. why Christmas mm-hmm. it i I think the author is somebody who's deeply interested with the moral of of stories i I because we're very confident that he also wrote the story pearl mm-hmm. which was found in the same manuscript and yes. that's essentially a theological treatise okay and so him placing it at Christmas time, I think what he's doing there is—you're is expecting. Well, what are you expecting at Christmas time? You're expecting some kind of deliverance, some kind of mm. rebirth. Mm-hmm. And what kind of rebirth is it going to be?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and what kind of marvel are we going to see? Because Chris also like so that's maybe, the famous... So
1: you're thinking like this, like because I was thinking like they're not really. Celebrating Christ.
0: Well, but I guess
1: they are with the feast, but it seems more pagan. Pagan. Potentially. But I do think you're right, though, where they're looking to someone to do something amazing, to do a marvel, to do a miracle.
0: it would take a miracle bye -bye. that's an interesting question because in that light the testing of the green knight and his appearance it's marvelous it's wonderful it's marvelous you should care And we come to find out over the course of this story that, in essence, to my mind, he's testing the court of King Arthur. He's yes. not just testing Gawain.
1: Well, because who it's is the open. champion? The, yeah. the test is open. Is like whoever will use my axe and strike me wherever he chooses. Mm-hmm. Then, right? That it was open to anyone, and nobody did anything. And then Arthur said, "Oh, fine, I'll do something." Yeah. And then Gawain is like, no, we can't have the king do this. I yeah. guess I should.
0: At least he's right there. He
1: is correct there. But nobody's jumping up to do it. So that also makes me wonder, is something dysfunctional going on? In the court. In the court. Because these are supposed to be the guys of Daring Do.
0: Yeah, but like And then all Arthur of a sudden- can't
1: eat because nobody has a story. You know, like a lot of round table, like it was supposed to be like 260 people. Like it yeah. was like ginormous. I and think I said 260 earlier today. That's just my number. <laughs> I don't think it was. It was something, but it was a large number. It wasn't yeah. like the 12 that you see in movies a lot. Yeah. It was... Well, that's that's biblical. It wasn't the 15 that you... <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it was a, a huge number of people. And none of them had a story. None of them were doing things. when That was kind of like the whole point of you being a knight of the round table. And so they're all just becoming... I don't know. They're all hanging out with the women and they're just.
0: Well, yeah, it, it is interesting. Nobody hurting. has a good story to tell that mm-hmm. hasn't been told before.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of surprising.
0: It is surprising. And how just everybody's so brave and bold until the biggest man alive shows up.
1: That's completely green, green. like yeah. shockingly green. And the horse is green. Yeah. Everything's green. It's like the Emerald City. A singing green baby. They say, on
0: the far side of the hill away and yeah and it, like you said in your notes here is is it who is this green man is he's he's obviously magical right he this is what yes. kind of makes it a a fairy tale a little bit
1: well, yeah and i think this is also what scares people off of it is cuz they know like oh this this got some some bad Mumbo, yeah, bad juju, McGumbo uh, going on, going on with this. Like this guy ain't real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is probably not a good thing to do. Uh, there are some people saying that, oh, this is nature versus civilization. <sighs> I don't see it. I do see the point in in noting that even though we call him the Green Knight, he is not a knight. He does not wield a sword which is indicative of being a knight mm-hmm. uh but I, you can disagree with me I, so the, so where they're getting that is that in, in celtic mythology there is a green man right and he is the earth man he is the plant man he is you know yeah. uh and so they're like okay so then that must be this is and he comes bearing a sprig of holly right yeah. but considering that he is lord Bertalac. And that this is his getup from Morgan,
0: yeah. Which we find this out at the end of the story. We do.
1: So that was your spoiler. <laughs> so that I find hard. I didn't. I don't see there being that tension. I see it much more between morality and like Christian morals and knightly morals and. That's that's, that's the tension. That's the tension. I don't see. But I would just throw that out there because that was something I heard. Okay. Um, from people who study things. Yeah, so it was probably
0: no better than us.
1: Yeah. But I, I don't know if you saw that either.
0: I've never seen it as a conflict of nature versus the city kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it to me is always, can the round table, can King Arthur's uh, court live up to our, their ideal? Yeah. And he comes to challenge that.
1: Yes, and he 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 berates the the knights. Yeah. Like he is pretty ruthless. He's actually kind of hilarious. He's
0: very funny. He
1: is very funny. Bertilac and the Green Knight are yeah. both very funny.
0: You They're mean, my favorite character. I
1: know. They really are. Gawain
0: will, is honestly annoying.
1: Well, I will say I, I I find that Gawain is a real character though.
0: He is a real man. Yeah. He is
1: a real man. He's not just a puppet of predictability of knightliness. Right. Uh, he does... And, and, and
0: he can be funny, too. He, he's just, yes. He's just always the, over the top, and he's getting himself into trouble when he doesn't have to.
1: Right. Yeah, but I find all of the characters, maybe besides Lady Burlac but even her, uh, that they're all very real characters, but specifically Bertalac and, and Gawain. Mm-hmm. That I think that's one of the reasons why this story has lasted so long, too, is that we connect to the struggles yeah. that Gawain has. And we get nervous because we foresee what he's getting into trouble. And we're like, no, 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 don't do it. Yeah. You know, and then we also, yeah. And there's this, yeah, I think we just connect to, to Gawain on a human level.
0: So the green man comes in, yep. he challenges them. To strike one blow with the axe mm-hmm. against him. And if he can withstand it, a year hence, he will strike the same blow to whoever it dares to pick up the gauntlet, yeah. essentially.
1: yeah,
0: And... What happens then, Megsters? Well, I
1: love how it's written, because like we said, like, Gawain eventually, because Arthur wants to do it, and then Gawain's like, no, that's a bad idea, and he, Mm -hmm. with um, overwhelming politeness, comes and begs that he Mm -hmm. may strike the blow. And And a little bit of whining. He does, yeah.
0: I'm only here because you're my uncle, (laughs) and everybody thinks I'm not that good, but I really am. (laughs) Give me a shot, Uncle Arthur
1: but and then also like he's kind of waiting and waiting in the green green man or the green knight is, yeah. is, is' kind of like come on like i I don't have all night like get yeah. on with it but I love also how uh it says that his neck kind of glinted i I kind of imagine that like the green knights like kind of twinges his neck to the side like his cocks his head to the side and like there's like a steely glimmer. Mm-hmm. From okay. his neck. I don't know why that's not how I envision it, but he's just like... Kind a dotted
0: of like, line separate here?
1: No, not a dotted line. But you know like how steel, like when you twist a sword, it's kind of like cling. Yeah. I kind of like imagine like he like twisted his neck and went cling, <laughs> And Gawain's like, light bulb moment. I shall strike the head.
0: <laughs> Wasn't sure where I was going to strike at first. Well,
1: because you're thinking about it. Like, okay, what... I actually had this at a magic show that I went to and he's like, okay, what what body part do you want impaled by this spike? Yeah. And I said, uh, my left hand.
0: Yeah. And he said,
1: well, how about your eyeball? I'm like, I'd rather not, but okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, you ask, like, if you think about it, like, what body part would you most willingly give up?
0: Yeah, a little toe.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, like, this is a ginormous axe. I feel like that would be really hard to get just, like, a sliver of toe. So anyways, yeah. the, the, the neck glints, yeah, and Gawain strikes and cleaves the head clean off. Mm-hmm. That was totally wicked! But, and then everybody's so grossed out that they're, they're kicking it all around.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, you can kind of envision uh-huh, like it. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Get away from me, and they're all kicking it. And then the body of the severed head mm-hmm. comes and collects the head. And the head starts talking to Gawain and says, okay, well done. I will see you in a year at the Green Chapel. Y'all have a lovely Christmas now, you hear?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Enjoy
1: yourselves. And Gawain's like, I knew it. I knew I shouldn't have done it. I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So now he has a whole year to worry about it.
0: But he doesn't worry about it at first.
1: No, he doesn't. But then it gets closer. He's like, I really should worry about it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, of course
0: the Green Knight doesn't tell him where to go exactly no of
1: course not so that's when he goes on the perilous journey but before he does he's getting ready we are told in detail what Gawain wears so Gawain is clad in full armor going out but he's not taking anybody with him and he doesn't take any luggage but he's clad in his armor Mm -hmm. his color is red and his. Red
0: and green, very Christmassy.
1: I know it is, isn't it? How delightful. And then typically, Gawain's. Is it called a standard? What's it like? Your symbol, symbol on your sword, on your Coat of shield? Bars? is something like a lion or like an eagle or something like that. But in this, the author changes it to a pentangle. And a pentangle is a. Uh, is that. Is that star, but it's. Is it the Star of David? No, it's not no. quite. It's not quite a Star David. It's two interlocking equi- equilateral. What kind of triangle is it? Equilateral. No, don't just repeat the last thing I said.
0: I think it is equilateral. They're all the same size. Yeah, so
1: it's two in- interlocking equilateral triangles. Yeah. So that it looks like it never ends and is making a star, pointy thing. There, got through it. Uh, So this is a medieval symbol of King Solomon, and Solomon is is indicative of of wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's a, a symbol of wisdom. And then, again, the author goes into great detail of what the five points of the pentangle all mean. So let's just read it. First faultless was he found in his five senses, and next in his five fingers he failed at no time. And firmly on the five wounds all his faith was set, that Christ received on the cross, as the creed tells us. And wherever the brave man into battle was come, on this beyond all things was his earnest thought, that ever from the five joys all his valor he gained, that to heaven's courteous queen once came from her child. And then down a little ways. The fifth five that was used, as I find, by this night Was free giving and friendliness first of all, and chastity and chivalry ever changeless and straight, and piety surpassing all points, these perfect five, were hast upon him harder than on any man else. Okay, so...
0: It's interesting that chastity and and chivalry were put together, mm -hmm. and that's kind of... comes to be a, a problem in the story later on.
1: Well, I heard a really interesting take... On this, from the Great Books podcast, on the on this story, and that is is that Gawain has kind of separated or has uh, divided the star into things courtly and religious, and so you have like the five wounds of Christ. I think the five senses would be considered uh, because uh, they they realized how closely nature and such were tied to God who made them. I feel like he would have said, like, that was
0: okay, yeah,
1: you know, religious. Um, but then he also has, you know, the five free giving, friendliness, chastity, chivalry, piety, right? So it's kind of he, he's kind of divided, and I think that is a really interesting take on this is that can you hold.
0: All these things equally?
1: yeah, can you hold King Arthur's court and also what God demands of you in e- equal priorities like, yeah. can, like it's not saying like you like I, I think what Gawain struggle is is like, yes, those things are good, but you have to kind of rank things that like what comes before this, where he gets tripped up because he's like, well, if I do this, this goes against that ideal. Yeah. but if I do that that goes against this ideal so how can I do anything yeah because none of the ideals are served so then he kind of finds like okay well then what actually does matter yeah like what comes first like yes, it's good to be chivalrous but does that come before you know keeping an oath or like yeah you know what I mean like
0: that, that that's his testing is is yes. what what holds true what, what's what's the most important thing?
1: But he he is to be perfectly all the points of the star. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is, like, can he perfectly be the star? Hello, dear listeners. This is your brilliant editor, Megan. And I just wanted to let you know that this is the end of part one. We were so excited about Sir Gawain that we just had to say so much about it. And so we're going to put a pause here. Think about Gawain. Go read it if you haven't read it. Uh, and think about if uh, Gawain is going to be all the points of the star or if he's going to get into trouble. I hope that you come back next week to hear the conclusion of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And if you haven't already, you should subscribe to this podcast. You'll get notified for when that new episode appears. And you should also sign up for our newsletter, and get an email is really fun. Uh, you should also check out the store, the Etsy store, where it's all really cool handmade stuff. There's even some green things if you just really need some more green in your life because you read the Green Night and you want everything to be green now, like Kermit D. Frog. So you should do that. You should probably brush your teeth. You should probably clean your room. And, of course, read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, but I already said that, so you already did it, because I know you just read it instantly. Thank you all very much for listening, and come back next week. Stay quacky.